Scene? Want to stay up to date on the freshest info, the latest podiums, and hear interviews with the who's who and OCR? Well, you've come to the wrong place. Well, some of that you'll find here. But we're not the media. This is not ORM, OCM, OCRM, ORCM. This is OCR Talk. Welcome to OCR Talk. My name is Jason Dupree. Thanks for tuning in. I have got what I hope will be a very probably long and entertaining episode. I've got about two hours to drive, and we'll see if I can feel all that. Because this weekend was Spartan Poconos with the National Series, U.S. National Series 3K. And, uh, you know, just running the, the race in general, the Spartan Super. And it was fantastic. And there's a lot that I have to say about the live stream and just the mess of things that it was on the back end. And I want to share that. I'll start with the race itself, uh, the elite race, and then talk about the, the Super a little bit because I did run it this morning. And I'll, I'll share that stuff first. So that way, if you don't care so much about the technical side of things, you can listen to that and then you can stop. And then I'll get into the technical stuff. And uh, man, what a doozy it was. So we started out, um, the elite race started out, uh, and the weather was great. Uh, yeah, I think we were worried a little bit about some bad weather rolling through, but it ended up being nice and hot. <laughs> Not that the uh, racers want that, obviously, but um, the weather was good and clear, so I'll put it that way. And we, they had some big names with this. I mean, it was, you know, Ryan and Lizzie not racing anything else yet this year, and coming out for this was great. Um, Thomas Von Tonner come from South America. I mean, so South America, South Africa. And you had um, uh, Samuel Bear coming from Canada. So between like the, all, all these people, lots of people from all over the place. So uh, very awesome to see as even on the live stream that Jack and uh, David put it, it felt like uh, a Spartan race of old where there were just so many awesome, uh, great athletes very deep field, and uh, and and there was a good vibe going into it. So uh, on the women's side, uh, well, so you know the three k has been Palm Beach and Big Bear, and none of those had a full field because they could do forty five people all together, and neither of those had a full field on either side. But this one, the men's field was full, and the women's field had the most that it's had so far. I think they had 23-ish or so, somewhere in there. So, biggest crowds we've seen on both sides. And it definitely made for an exciting, exciting time. Having that many pro athletes in one place and, and really all, uh, you know, going viant for this, uh, this uh, hard, tough, tough race that they, that they do with the 3K. 
Um, and so the, you know, prediction contest, we're looking at like, who's, who's going to win. Is it, you know, is Ryan going to easily just come in here and take it? Cause he's done Spartan cross and, uh, in, in the Spartan games. And he did that stuff very well. Um, point well made that by, I, I think, uh, maybe race brain that, uh, Ryan Atkins did the Spartan cross and, you know, slope field after like three days worth of competition. So that, that's a huge thing in itself. Cause like that speaks to his level of being able to just go for a long time and not, uh, not falter because of it. But Ryan, uh, Ryan Kimson coming in, uh, with after his big wins that he's had, I mean, consistent, not consistent wins, but consistent performance in Savage race. Um, cause he did just lose to Sean Roberts by not even a second, uh, last weekend, which was an extremely wild race. And, um, you know, just like all these other people that have won races and, and this is one of the pieces of the live stream that I wish I was able to show, but Jack Bauer, uh, he had sent over some, um, some stats that he had come up with, uh, who, who's, who out of these fields have raced, uh, the, the national series races and, and podiumed at those. And, uh, I mean, it was, it's interesting to see the, just like how many of these people were top level athletes winning podium at big races. And, uh, there's just a bunch of them. So the men, um, race well and, 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 and Kimson met, uh, Ryan Kimson. I don't think he, I feel like he, he won his heat. You know, they do the three ways in the 3K for the qualifying round. I think he won his heat, but I don't believe he won the round itself, like overall. Um, but when it came down to the 3K, he just led from the gun just about and 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 just never let up. I mean, he had a, a minute gap on Ryan Atkins, who got second. Um, so quite an exciting race. And lots of people getting their backs cut up in the in the barbed wire. That was that was something right there. It was a insane barbed wire. If you haven't seen it, go go check out the live stream. Uh, it's like yeah, probably at least fifty yards uphill. And, uh, lots of dug holes, like almost like ski moguls, as Jack put it. Um, kind of one. None of them side by side is like like diagonally to, to each other. So you were you were literally crawling out of one hole to get into the next one, just over and over and over again. And then you've got barbed wire across the top of you, and of course, people racing hard were just tearing the crap out of their backs, and um, you know just cut up backs all over the place, uh, men and women. And I think even in the finals, Chris Ruglowski, uh got her hair stuck if the in the barbed wire for a moment. Um, and so on the women's side, oh yeah, so, so Ryan Kipson kind of, kind of took it home, uh, almost, you know, I'd say ran away with it at the end there, uh, in that last final, final, uh, the 3K. Um, and for the women, was it like, you know, Chris Rulowski, she's been doing so well, was she going to take it? Or Ida being so good at the short course stuff, um, there's lots of really good names there as well. And, and 
Lindsay just did this point. Like, I don't know if it's just, I mean, I, I was thinking about it. Like, is she just that fast that she just smoked everybody? Obviously there's a lot more to obstacle racing than just foot speed, but I don't know. I'll have to go back and watch the live stream myself to kind of get an idea of how did, where did she make up Hall of Hard Ground? Was it, was it just a mix, a good mixture of like, she just, I mean, she's not the fastest through obstacles, but she's consistent and, and, and smooth. So, uh, not sure how her, uh, barbar crawl technique was or, but I, I think this one, she just kept it smooth and, and consistent, uh, is the best way I can put it. And, and, you know, people always point out when you're talking about Ida that she's beaten, uh, Lindsay Webster at OCRWC 3k. But, um, the truth is that Lindsay had a couple of big mistakes in that, that race. Not only did she, um, can't remember all the mistakes that she had, but one of them was just a simple bell whiff on one of the easier obstacles, Littlefoot. So it's like she she won, but she didn't win. You know, Ida beat her, but Ida didn't beat her in a clean head to head. And you know, the the saying who won and who did it obviously is always about like if you won, you won. Um. But when people have a clean race, like for example, Savage Race last weekend, Ryan Kempson was ahead the whole way. They got to the rig and he made a mistake and then he uh, lost by not even a second. Same thing keep, keep, seems to keep happening, happening to Alex Walker. She uh, is, has led the last two Savage Races for the majority of the race until she gets to one of the uh, you know rig that gives her trouble. And then that's it. Of course, that's, you know, that's obstacle racing. Um, so it, it's an interesting comparison that I like to kind of think about. Like, yes, they made a mistake and that's, that's the race that, that, that obviously is, is how you, you win is not making mistakes. But if you have a clean race, if, if everybody has a clean race, who's going to win then? Because it may not be. It may not be who you would think because it's rare that we see that, you know, like typically, um, whoever does have a clean race is going to be up there in the front. It, it's, it's tough. It's tougher to have mistakes and, and still win. Some people do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Anyway, um, so great racing. The venue was, it really was just vibing really well. Everybody, I think, was just excited to see each other. Um, like I said, the weather was great. And the the course was more elevation, more hills, bigger hills than Big Bear, which is kind of wild to think about. But it was just on this spot where where it was just, you go up, um, I'm going to say a hundred to 150 feet, somewhere in there. And then you run across the top of this ledge and then you go down to the rope climb, then hit the monkey bars and then go through that uphill of the, uh, of the, uh, barbed wire crawl. 
So you had two big climbs, one where you're crawling and, and getting over these these really rough uh, holes in the ground. And uh, yeah, that, so that made for a very interesting race. So they did have the sandbag carry, and and it didn't. It wasn't on. There was no hill for the sandbag carry. It was a little bit of a dip, but not not too crazy. Um, and it was those, like, not the pancakes, but the just bags that like uh, filled for floods and type stuff. Uh, those kind of sandbags. So I, I do think that those probably are easier to manipulate because there's a little bit more room in them, so you can kind of shift them around and get them get them where you. You want them. So we didn't, I don't think we saw really a, a ton of, I, I guess, lead changes or like that, that sandbag to carry, even though it was a double sandbag carry, we didn't see it cause as much havoc as we saw at Big Bear. You know, obviously they lightened the load on it, but it definitely didn't make as, as, I mean, Partially because of that, probably, but where it was and everything, I, I think it did just make it did make that as much of a difference. Um, I do think that um, that barbed bar wire crawl probably did though, because um, uh, so to kind of shift gears to go to the the super, you know, this morning Saturday morning, that barbed wire crawl, I did it, and, and man. Trying to think about how fast the elites were going through that thing is pretty wild because it really was tough. Now, I did it at the end of the Super, just six miles and almost 3,000 feet of elevation gain, but still, it was uh, extremely, extremely tough. I don't know how long it took. I'm going to say four to five minutes at least. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So the morning started, I ran elite and ran with my GoPros to film all the obstacles. So, you know, be on the lookout if you hadn't seen it already, be on the lookout for a obstacle, all obstacles video for Palmerton for Poconos. And so I started, we started at 730 and the, the fog was in, you know, from the morning, sun wasn't out yet. It was probably about 65 degrees. So it felt nice walking around the venue. But when we took off, first climb goes all the way to the top of the of the mountain just about. So it's about about a mile up and probably about six hundred feet of elevation gain, I believe. I think that's what my watch told me. So you go climb straight up and there's a couple of obstacles, not many. It's like two all the way up and maybe one up 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 towards the top. And it was just very humid. So you know, you, as you're climbing, you're going through the fog. You get to the top, you look back and you can see like the top of the bog. Uh, so very beautiful, but it was a tough climb. Quite, quite steep in some areas. And by the time I got to the top, Twister was actually kind of on the way down. And so this is kind of funny. Um, Thomas Von Tonder and, and Ida and a couple of other elites ran in the elite wave, but they were 
going out to run a fun a fun lap like it's not very often like you know most people started most people started ocr running with friends and just having a good time and so you see a lot of these people who do this for a living they don't get to do that as much anymore and so it was awesome to see that they were purposely going out to do that and according to them they went to go like sign up and they said no no go ahead and go run elite you don't have to run open and uh so they did but they still just took it easy and had a good time and so first climb up the uh, you know right out the gate they're they're going i was like the very for a moment up that first hill i was the very last one um and then it, it didn't take long after that you know how it is people uh off the gun are gonna um kind of charge out and uh i, I know better because and, and also i'm not i wasn't going out there racing myself so i wasn't trying to uh push hard um so yeah i was in last place for a moment and so we get up there and uh i start passing some people but when we got to almost to twister we're going down to some of these really gnarly rocky trails and like running down this stuff rocks are flying everywhere and it was you know, I mean, you just really got to watch your footing. Extremely tough. And so I passed Thomas Von Tonder and Ida and them, and apparently they had gotten hit by some wasp or something. So they were kind of, like, dealing with that. And after I passed them, uh, Thomas was, was running with me for a moment, and he was telling me that there is kind of like a lot of the, the trails that they run that he runs back at home or a lot, a lot like that. Just super gnarly stuff. Um, it's pretty awesome. But when I got to Twister, um, they, they, they were there with me. And so I got to kind of sit there for a minute, watch them go through it. Uh, we actually tried it twice because when we got there, since it was so, so foggy, uh, everything was just really damp. And so, Normally, I go through Twister with the technique that I learned from Ryan Atkins, where you kind of do it like monkey bars, but because of the way the uh, the Twister spins, you, I, I use my left hand and put it backwards. So when when I reach, so right hand grabs as it would um, on, on the bar, and then you know, face them forward, and then the left hand. You know, skip one rate, skip one rung, and turn your hand facing the same way as the right hand, and then that way the bar is rolling into your hand instead of out of your hand, and or spinning, you know, spinning out of your hand. But it was so slippery, and I'm definitely not trained up grip strength wise uh, as I have been in the past. And I haven't been doing any rock climbing or anything like that. So I definitely didn't want to go that route because I did trust my grip strength on that wet bar. So I ended up doing, I, I think in the past I would, I would probably, or, or if I decided first off going into it, I might've done it backwards. You know, the backward, backward, backwards technique works pretty well, but I ended up going sideways as kind of just like the normal standard twister technique that probably people did when we when we first came out and it was just 
a good, strong, like I, I bent my elbows a little bit and just kept a good, strong grip um, and, and did just one-to-one. It takes a little longer, but it was felt more secure. So, um, so I got through it like that. And Eva, when she did it, she did it similar, but she was matching hands. So she would grab the same brum with both hands, but she would skip one. So she was basically doing about the same speed that I did it, but using both hands all one. So I don't know if that helps you go faster or now I know it's a, it's a little, you know, that, that rung is not very big. So trying to think about maybe, maybe, I don't know if how, how her hands compare to mine, but would mine fit on there? Well, I know I've, I think I've tried that before and, and trying to put two hands on, on one of those is it's, it's, it's a tight fit. So that, that's tricky. Cause if you, you know, you go to reaching this, then that's where it gets real crazy. So I do think this is going to make for cool obstacle, all obstacles video, because in the previous, all, all the ones I've done so far this year, it's been nice and dry. So my technique has always been pretty much the same. So this one, you are going to get to see a little bit different technique. And I do want to put a little bit of graphics, you know, just some text or something to point out that I was being conservative, you know, and it's damp and wet and you're worried about your grip, then it is good to adjust and, and, and be, yeah, more, just more conservatives, um, less written, you know, take less risk to, to make sure you get through. Uh, and, and then I do plan on putting, I don't think I filmed Eda's, but I did film Thomas Fontaine's, I, I filmed him going through. So I'll get that in there as well. So you get to see his technique and he did, uh, I'm just I think he did like, oh, he just did, that's right. He did just a forward momentum, um, like bent elbows and with his body facing forward and just basically muscled his way through it. I mean, dude is big and strong and, and showed it right there. Like he just manhandled the whole thing. Uh, and then we were all talking about how it's so slippery and, wondering if we could get through with the the monkey bar technique the swinging technique and so we all tried it again and i i slipped off once i got to my left hand basically um i think even Eda slipped and and talus he he did like one swing in the middle one like one hand and then reached the the middle section and then one more swing off the second section like he literally touched the i want to say he touched the, the rig three times it's pretty pretty phenomenal very impressive now funny thing about running with them after that i went ahead and continued on and once we started running down the hill and i uh once i passed him i didn't see him again for the rest of the race and checking the time I was six minutes ahead of their, their finish. So there were probably some sections where if I would have just like chilled out for a section, a, a, a moment, I probably would have, uh, they probably would have caught up or we could have hung out some more. But, um, on the official results, I, I now have a win against Ida, Matilde, Steensgaard, and Talos Fontana, which is kind of hilarious, but it's, uh, yeah. 
Anyways, uh, so the race, the the course was one big climb to the top, come back down, you know, past Worcester, Olympus down back at the base. And then there was another climb all the way back to the top again. And this time, the climb, it went on one of the steepest sections of the course. So it was through some gorgeous, beautiful woods, but it was just crazy steep and in quite a, a good ways that you had to walk up this steep stuff. Eventually, it mellowed out a little bit and uh, wasn't quite as bad, but I, I, I recall as we were going through that, um, still walking through fog, like it was, uh, you know, it wasn't quite, like the sun had, still hadn't quite come out and cleared everything out. But it was just gorgeous, and everybody was just suffering up this hill. Uh, it was really awesome. And getting to the top, and then they had a pretty cool section that had at least five obstacles all kind of near each other, but not in the race, not in the race course. So you like went past some and then come back and then did some more, but it was all in the section. So the spectators were able to go see all these by taking the gondola up and see all this stuff at one spot, but they did a great job with the course route so that you, you didn't just go do all those obstacles all at one time. And I, I was very, very impressed with how, how they laid it out. And so up there was Harkoy's spear throw, bender, sandbag carry, A-frame cargo, uh, and I might be forgetting one or two. But this is where I, I think it really got wild is you, you go through and you're at the top and you know it's like, all right, sweet. There's only, for the most part, there's only downhill after this. Like, there's not really any um, big giant climbs anymore. But once you got to that sandbag carry, it was, it, it had, to me, it was the hardest sandbag carry I, I've ever done. And I've been racing since 2016. And even in Texas, they've done a great job of having some sandbag carries up some very, very tough hills. And this was definitely by far the worst. And all the sandbags were wet, so they were extra heavy, too. The One of the funny things about it is, you know, this is all a ski, ski mountain. So when you go grab the sandbag and they tell you the direction to go, there's two lanes that are going off and they split apart. And they both have ski hill signs, like ski lanes. You know, when you draw a ski mountain, there's... uh a trail and they, they call it something specific like black diamonds might be like the big drop or whatever. And one of them, I forget the one on the way down, I'll have to look at the video, but on the way back was nightmare. And my God, it was a nightmare. So the way down was pretty steep itself. And with that sandbag being as heavy as it was, I know it was blasting my legs because usually downhill, you want to use the take advantage of it and, and get some speed and actually do some running. Uh, but I had to slow down because it was just blasting my legs. And then you come around the, the bottom and you head back up. And it was extremely long and very steep. Like I said, it, it might have been as steep as the steepest part of the course. And it was just deathly. Everybody was cursing it. 
uh, and just took forever. So I see lots of people tossing their bag on the ground, you know, taking a break. And so I just, I just took little steps. I took it slow, you know, kept my, my pace comfortable so that I didn't enough that I didn't die. I was still hurting and dying and dying. I was still hurting, but, uh, I, I just made sure I could keep going. I just looked, took little tiny steps and just kept forward momentum the whole time. You know, I did stop to like take some video and just to just show off what we were on. But, uh, man, it was really was extremely hard sandbagged. Like the course itself, uh, me and Mike Stefano were, were talking about this and he was asking me, you know, how did you feel about the course? Like what was the hardest part? And it's like the climbs were obviously tough. I mean, that's normal, but the obstacles and everything didn't give me any problems. But that sandbag was a real struggle. Definitely the hardest part in the course. But after that, it was all downhill from there. So it was nice that it was like, you got to the top and we had this sense of, ah, oh, yes, now we don't have any more climbs. And then you hit that sandbag and you get punched in the gut and then you, you finish it and then you get back to a sweep. Now I actually get to just run down some fun stuff and then not have to do too much climbing anymore. So we did. So we got through the sandbag carry and continued on down and eventually we got to rolling mud and that water just felt excellent. You had rolling mud in one spot and then you had just a, the dunk wall was in a, a, a pond and that water felt fantastic. It was like, a, for me, it eventually came to a neck deep swim. Uh, I mean, I could still touch the bottom, but it was, it was, you know, that deep enough that you could easily swim. And that water just felt great as well. And then coming out of that, you had a few more obstacles. Beater was out there and then came Ape Hanger. And Ape Hanger is one of those obstacles that you don't see often. I've never done it before. This is actually my first, first time giving it a try. And Palmerton's always been known for having Ape Hanger. And, you know, the, the rest of the course, having wet hands was definitely a concern. Like I said, for Twister, even Monkey Bars, I kind of, no, no, I'm sorry. Monkey Bars is at the end. For Beater, I definitely went through it a little bit more conservative. Um... Feel like there was one more I can't think of, but definitely felt more just like trying to be safe instead of just like swinging through stuff like normal. And this one, I came out of beater and my hands felt nice and dry. We had a nice little, uh, like a little bit of a distance between beater and ape anger. And so my hands were getting dry. It was feeling good. And then Apehanger has a rope climb out of the water to get up to these, you know, this like cave ladder type thing. Cave ladder, uh, horizontal cave ladder type thing. And so the rope is all wet because everybody's climbing it out of this water. So it's like, well, there goes the dry hands. And coming back to it later and, and, and looking at it, there's the structure that it's hanging from is these big, pipes and they, they look all rusted up and everything and I honestly think if I could have had 
gotten a, a, a leg hook, you know, a J hook on the rope and gotten up to the top and, and had it my hands on that uh, pipe, I feel like I could have actually gotten my hands dry again. All right, so I didn't think of that at first, and I went ahead and just went for it because I wanted to see if I had it in me. And so instead of just doing a num normal monkey bar swing because my hands were wet, I ended up doing a sideways matching hands technique, which is always a stronger grip when it's wet, but it's slower. And usually you're doing a bent arm technique, so it's, it's going to be harder. You know, it definitely is tougher to maintain that for longer. Like, doing a normal hanging straight arm monkey bar swing, um, pretty easy that if, if things are dry to do that for a while. Um, I, I remember maybe Nuclear Race or, or Rat Race, one of those in Europe had, like, the longest monkey bars in the world, and you could, you could, you people would all just try it. It wasn't all on the course. The race itself, it was just out there to try and see how far you could get and see if you could finish it. Um, so it's like that's it's that technique you can you can go for a long time, but uh, the side sideways matching hands is is tough to do. Like even even the monkey bars, the regular monkey bars that Spartan has, when it's wet, wet, it can be a struggle to get all the way through it. I, I know even on some on some of my stronger times, I've had like. I'm not, I'm worried I'm not going to make it all the way through this because it's, uh, especially with those big pipes, you know, this thankfully ape hanger has smaller, the rungs are smaller. So that's helpful. So I made it to halfway and knew that it was just starting to get tough. And if you've ever seen ape hanger or if you haven't seen it, it is kind of loose so it, it sags wherever you are, you know, so you're always pulling down and it, it's sagging in that spot. So when you get halfway through the first section, because it's two sections, halfway through the first section, you are at uh, a, a, a valley and then you've got to work your way up to get to the middle of the whole rig. But, and then you got to do that again. <laughs> so you go back down. So... It was on the way down in the next section, in the second in the second half of it, that I started feeling my grip go, and I was like, I really want to get through this. I'm going to go ahead and try switching to um, uh, chicken wing. And so I started doing it, and I got through probably like three rungs before it just started feeling tough just to do even the chicken wing, like transitioning from one rung to the next was just getting really hard. So I, I, I may have been maybe halfway through the second section. I, if, if even that, and then I fell, I got a very nice, um, like rubber or something on my, on my arm, on the inside of my bicep from doing that. Uh, you know, it's, I've gotten pretty efficient at obstacles, so it's it's rare that you know, like when you first start OCR, you know, it just you bruises everywhere after every race. And it's like a badge of honor that you got all those bruises. But 
I don't get those as much anymore because I go through obstacles fairly clean and, um, yeah, you just don't get them in that case. Um, but this one, I, I definitely did. Got a, got one. It's, uh, out of the, out of the ordinary for me. So I failed that one and was a little displeased that the, um, penalty loop for, Ape Hanger was just not much of anything. Definitely, you know, if that would have been, like, if I would have been in the elite race and saw that, like, I felt like I spent more time and energy trying to do the obstacle than, than the penalty loop took, that's for sure. Like, climbing up that rope and pretending like you can't climb the rope and then taking the penalty loop would have been so much more efficient. So I would love to see or hear how the uh, elites did with that if anybody opted or um or or failed it um but so i did do that one penalty and after that it it, it was kind of the end uh, i actually did pretty well with um my hydration and fueling and all that good stuff so i had with me, I carried, well, I guess let me, I'll finish the race here. So from that point on, that is where you went down into where the 3K was. So you did um, Z-Wall, run down the hill, rope climb, monkey bars, go up the the barbed wire, barbed wire crawl, uh, multi-rig, which that one I did make sure to get my hands dry and everything, but it was, it was pretty easy at that point. Things were starting to get more dry anyway. And the last obstacle was inverted wall. And then you got a big, uh, big downhill for the finish. It was kind of funny. I had the camera. So I ran past the inverted wall and set the camera down to catch me coming over it. And there was another guy, you know, I'm still like in the area of, um, elites and age groupers, and it, it's always hard to tell who's who, who's in what group. But there was a guy that was getting on the wall at the same time as me. So whenever we went over, I grabbed the camera off the ground and kept it rolling, and and told it, "Come on, let's go, let's let's get it." And I was trying to see if he would race me down the hill, and so I I you know bombed the hill, um, but I, I don't think he stayed with me. But it was a fun 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 finish, like. Uh, can't wait to go watch that one on the film. So, let's see. I was getting off on a tangent, and then I uh, forgot where I was going with it. I'm going to pause until I can think of what it was. Ah, uh, yes, my hydration. I carried with me... A, um, actually, in the morning, I took a, uh, a hydration powder that had 750 milligrams of, of sodium. Now, remember, if you if you have listened to the episode where I talked about hydration and, and all the things that I've gone through, um, my, I'm a very heavy sodium loss person when I sweat, and I, I tend to sweat a good bit, too. So, I, so I'm losing a lot of sodium. So if you do listen to how much sodium I took in, please keep in mind that this thing... This may not be the same for you. You may not need as much 
uh, because everybody's levels are different. So I brought with me, so I took in the morning 750 milligrams of sodium and I brought on course 12 pills, salt pills, 12 salt pills that all had about 215, I think, 215 milligrams of sodium in each one. So taking four of those is 800, um, 60, 860-ish milligrams of, of sodium. So it's a good bit. So I brought 12, 12 of them. So that's four or three servings of 860 milligrams of sodium. I took four of them at probably like half an hour in, um, maybe a little closer to an hour in, um, hour and a half, and then probably somewhere around the two hour, two fifteen mark. And I probably, I, I think it actually worked pretty well for me. Um, I, I felt good. Um, I, but I brought, I didn't have any, I forgot to bring gels, like a bozo. Forgot to bring gels with me. So I brought some granola bars that I got in had breakfast at the, like at that hotel. And I had two of them. So it was two, 100, 100, um, calorie bars. And I ate both of those. And then by the time I was getting to the finish, like down in that section where the, the 3K was, uh, I definitely felt like I should have had one more with me. Um, but I felt really good as far as hydration went. Felt like I, I did that, that, like, that was the right amount for that race. Uh, and then after, I did have two, I actually used uh, Brawl With Me before Malit. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Enduro Elites, which is the people that make full elite, um, their hydration, which their hydration packets, powder, has 500, 550, 525, somewhere in there, milligrams of sodium. And so after the race was over, I put two of those in one of those big water bottles Spartan gives you at the very end. They've got these big Spartan branded um, uh, positively charged. I'm not really sure what that's all about, but, uh, these big water bottles, like 30, 33 ounce water bottles. And so I put two of those in there and drank all of that. So I've felt good for quite a while, but after I finished, then I went and found Caitlin, uh, from off school running adventures and went and hung out with her while we watched Mike Stefano. And his friends finish as well, Jimmy and, and um, Angela. And while I finished in my race in two hours and 42 minutes, they started at 8 o'clock in age group, and they took five and a half hours. So this was quite a long time that I didn't have any more sodium and I started to feel it. By the time they got to the end, I could already feel my throat was starting to get a little dry. And this is not like, like we were walking around and stuff, but we, I wasn't 
just running and sweating, but it's just after burning that much and pushing that that far, it's just it's necessary for me at least to continue to have more sodium to uh, you know recover from it. And that I didn't have any, I could feel it. I could really feel it. So after we finally left the venue, I did go to the grocery store and and picked up. Um, I actually ended up grabbing some. I forget the the name of it. Some Gatorade uh, electrolytes because it was zero calories and half. They only had like half the sodium in each packet, but the from has a uh, uh, liquid IV, half the sodium of li- liquid IV. But even with that, the price, uh, you know, even if you doubled up on them so that you had the same amount as liquid IV, the price was still half the price, almost half the price of liquid IV. So I, w- I opted for those and pumped some more of those into some water and drank that. And then I did feel better um, after a bit after drinking that. So not bad, you know, still, still practicing and trying and, and trying to nail that down just right. And I felt, felt pretty good about it today. Uh, it's nice to go out there and push hard and s- sweat and feel, uh, like the course blasted me, but not feel like I, like I'm deathly after it's over and sick and nauseous and all that. It's just an amazing, amazing feeling. Now, as far uh, as the elites go today, um, Tyler Veerman was on the fence about racing today. And he, he actually was trying to decide if he just wanted to go run some trails in the area, but he had never actually raced here before. And so he did decide literally this morning that he was going to race in the elite wave. And he went and registered at the, at the venue. And dude ended up winning. So awesome. Uh, very proud of him for uh, not only going with his gut, because he was like, I just don't know for sure. And I was like, I've always really wanted to, to race here. And I said, I told him, I said, well, there's your answer, man. Like, obviously, it's easy to be like, well, I don't want to do the harder thing. But if there's something about it that, that like, you just want to, like, you want to do it and experience. And then maybe it's because it's hard. Maybe that's why uh, you should do it. I, I I try to live by, and it's not always the case, but I try to live by the philosophy that if it makes me nervous, then that's a reason to do it. Because when you do things that make you nervous, they help you grow and get more confident so that you're less nervous when you do those things the next time. Maybe it won't happen the first time, but eventually you get to the point where you're not as nervous anymore. And I still live by that. So try it out. Try it out next time you, you know, it doesn't really matter what it is. Maybe, like for me, I, I in my work, I have to call people and, you know, sometimes you got to call somebody for support. And, and when I first started the job, it was, made me a little nervous. Uh, but, you know, now it's like, if I do actually get, I don't get as nervous as much. But if I do, it's like, okay, that's an indicator that I should do it so I can get better at it. Uh, so yeah, see if you can see if you can put that into practice. Uh, we'll try it out sometime. All right, time for the good stuff. And now it's the part where I'm going to get into the technical side of the live stream. And I'm 45 minutes into this podcast so far, 
Um, I, I could foresee this part going another 45 minutes or so. We'll see. I'll start off with the day before the race, um, getting out there. So first off, uh, no, I'm going to back up even a little further. Um, this week, well, first, last weekend was Savage Race. And while I did Savage Race remotely, it was the weekend before another event. So because I do have a day job, I have limited time to prep for these these races. And so after Savage Race, I it was tough to find the time to um, get ready for the Spartan Race. Now, there are a lot of things about my production that I have set up that make it easy to roll into the next one. But recently I've changed a couple of things. Like I've changed the intro um, to video. I've I've changed the way that I do the camera setup where there's one output shot and the cameras are all overlays into that one input. Um, so I've tweaked, I've been tweaking some things, making, to help make things more efficient. And we got, oh, there's fireworks happening somewhere for some reason. Interesting. Um, and we got some more cameras, some more Amiibo cameras. So the static cameras that are on course. And along with that comes, you know, I need to put those as inputs into the show. So, when you when I had inputs into the show, that pushes around where inputs are within like like every input is numbered. You know, camera one is the first one, and then the first the the cameras are all numbered, and then so on. But with the if I put in more cameras, then everything after the cameras all get pushed around, and then some of my hotkeys. On I've got uh, I've got a Stream Deck regular size and a Stream Deck XL that I use to you know use as shortcuts to push buttons and do things, and so all of those were not not set. Uh, I had set a bunch of those for the um, Savage Race, but I've already got a pre-set up um, show for for Spartan, so I had to go back in. And, and and tweak all those, and so again, not uh, a week. Work has been day job work has been a lot going on, so I haven't had any extra time um, during the day. Um, you know, life with family has been what it is. So there there's there's more more to do um, in the evenings, making sure to. To spend time with the kids in, in April and, and everything that's going on there. Um, so I would, I, I'll just put it this way I was behind going into this race. Everything wasn't set up exactly the way I wanted it. Um, and, I, and I wasn't quite prepared. Um, now I got a, a hard case to carry a lot of the, the stuff, you know, the equipment. Um, in a better bag that will keep it safer when when I'm traveling, and because um, I was just carrying everything in a in a soft soft case, soft you know, luggage bag, and 
leaving out. Um, I got to the airport. I left right after work and I jetted out the door and got to the airport. And, and within an hour, you know, like, you know, still an hour from, um, from, from takeoff. And, but it was like cutting it close to being an hour. So, you know, they always say, you know, get there an hour before or, or two hours at this point is what they always try to say. So I got there and I, you know, check my bag in, go to the, the terminal. And by the time I got to the terminal, I was getting pretty close to 40. Like I stopped and got some, some food and, um, security was a little bit uh, busier than normal and all that kind of stuff. So I got to the terminal and they weren't, weren't boarding. <laughs> Apparently something was going on with the air condition. So we were like at least a half hour behind, maybe even close to an hour behind before we took off. So it, it seems like no reason why my bag wouldn't make it on the plane. Right? Well, we get there. And, you know, pull up the phone and see how the luggage is looking. And it's like, oh, your luggage is delayed. It's like, oh, God dang it. So it was showing that it was going to be on a flight in the morning. It's like, oh, man, come on. So I've got, you know, it's like, what do I do now? I, you know, if I've got to, if for whatever reason the bag doesn't make it all the way, I, I, I've I, got my computer in my book sack that on, you know, carry on luggage. And so I can do the show, it will just be a little tougher. I want to have my hotkeys, I want to have an extra monitor, and just all this other stuff. Won't have the Vivo cameras, all that kind of thing. Um, so I decide, let me get a hotel near the airport. Now, Palmerton is two hours away from the airport. So instead of driving all the way to Palmerton that night, and being able to get up early and get to the venue early, I ended up having to say, okay, I'm going to wait for the flight. That flight leaves out at 5 a.m. from Dallas. It gets in about 9.45 in Philadelphia. So I had to wait for that. Um, so I did confirm before I got a hotel for the night that the bag was going to be on the plane the next morning. So I went to go get a hotel, and everything is everything is booked by the, uh, by the airport. Um, I'm going to end up re you know, filing a claim with, with, uh, American because they, you, you can file a claim for incidentals that happen, uh, when your bags are delayed and you have to change plans and such. So I've got, uh, I had to get a hotel that was not cheap because it was like the only one around and it was not right by the airport, but I was able to get a night's sleep and got back to the airport and, uh, had plenty of time to like just wait for my bag. So as soon as my bag comes out of the carousel, I grab the bag, I go to the desk and let them know, hey, you don't have to wait, find this bag because like, I got it. And and I head on. And so two hour drive, two plus hour drive out to Palmerton. And I get to the venue and it's like 12.15 already. And the show starts at 3.45. So I've got extremely limited time to get everything set up, do some tests, get the cameras out on the course, try and finish setting up all my hotkeys, uh, get all the rabbits set up and ready, and just, oh, it was just so much to do. And I, I, I just wasn't able to get it all done. I did get the 
cameras out on the course and come to turn out some of the new cameras. The hotspots that they use were set to uh, automatically sleep after a bit. So they turned off. So we didn't have on the entire race. Uh, I did get to turn them back on at some point and I'll explain that. But um, so that was a, you know, kind of a, just a, a over, oversight uh, right there. Now, the cell signal on the course was just weird. It was like in some spots it was great. And sometimes the download speed would be amazing, but then upload speed would be near nothing. I was like, how in the world is this even the case? We saw great speeds from T-Mobile and AT&T was pretty good. And Verizon was just good in certain spots. So we ended up kind of picking out, okay, who, who's got, I, I was able to set up in a spot that, that Verizon was decent enough that I could use my router to connect to the computer and, and use it that way. And, and all the mobile hotspots for the cameras, they, they were doing decent too. Um, and, and so we were looking at the rabbits and saying, okay, who's got what carrier? So if you've got Verizon, we're going to stick you here and here, you know, trying to keep it, keep them in, in certain spots. Uh, AT&T, you got, you know, you can go out a little further so uh, you can get um, into the, the rest of the course. And Chris Roglowski and Mike Stefano all, uh, both offered up their phones because they had AT&T. And so we were able to uh, pass those off to a couple of the uh, the rabbits and use those instead. So that was, that was fantastic. Really, very thankful for them helping out there. So by the time it's time for the show to start, I'm still helping the rabbits get all set up. And I really wanted to go through the map. And, you know, like normally, we while the commentators are doing the intro for the show, we try to show the map and maybe a couple of other things, like some previous results or maybe the, the leaderboard uh, for the series or something like that. And I didn't get to do any of that stuff because, one, I was still helping the rabbits get set up. And two, all my hotkeys were messed up. So I would have had to go through and show that stuff manually by clicking it in the program. And I just didn't have the time to do all that. So we didn't get to show any of that. Jack had made some graphics um, just showing us some stats and stuff. Didn't get to show those. Um, yeah, so that was, it was kind of rough. Uh, but they, you know, they did a great job continuing on. And during the race itself, again, hot keys being what they were, shortcuts being what, the, what they were, I didn't get to show a timer. I uh, didn't get to show uh, obstacle names. And while I would have been able to show it if I had the information, for some reason, the who was in what waves uh, was not populating. This is information that I get straight from Spartan. We've, we've uh, not done it yet. They've uh, So this is our first time trying it out, and for whatever reason, it didn't come through. So we'll, we'll tweak that. But um, for Mexico, we should have that nailed down, hopefully, to where when we see the camera at the start line, no matter what wave it is, in, in what round, we can pop up this little graphic 
you know, I, I showed the graphic at Big Bear, but I, it was manually populated. And we were only we only had it for the first uh, first realm, maybe even first wave. I can't remember. Anyway, so well, um, you know that 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 wasn't ready to show either, but we did still have the results for each round and each wave and so um as as people are finishing we did we were able to still show those graphics um showing who who was in in what place for that the qualifying rounds and uh, so that was great and all the way through the, the 3k we were able to, to show that and even during the 3k uh, I've got the little flyout graphic that even while they're still running, after they start coming through that first lap and that second lap, we can show their their times, like where people are um, uh, uh, lead wise through those those first couple laps. And so we were able to show that for the men, but then the women they got through two laps, and then something happened. Something happened on the like the results side that the results team had to troubleshoot and figure out and, and tweak and fix. And they got it fixed about probably like 15 minutes after we stopped the broadcast. So we didn't get to show the full results at the end because the, they said that where it messed up, it just is one of those things that trickles down and, and then everything else is messed up after that. So we, we weren't able to show the, the full women's results um, but we did get the the full men's results for the the full three k at the end there. Um, the uh, the cameras stayed. I'm not gonna say they they didn't stay on. They that I think the picture like looking back, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of it yet. But watching some of the live stream, uh, I think that the pictures were pretty clear. Like when they were up and rolling, it was pretty good. There were definitely some some pixelated spots, but it, it was probably one of the better clear um, races we've had so far, I think, in, in certain certain areas. Um, but because of the cell signal being what it was, it, it was, I was trying to reset the cameras a lot and tweaking settings. The, the platform that I'm using now called Rivet, it, it does allow for changing some settings and then you know, hitting an update button and it actually pushes those settings to the phone. Um, interestingly, it seems like it doesn't want to push the resolution. So if I change the resolution, it, it it's like it, it hangs on to that unless they close out of the app and re reaccept the settings that I'm sending to them. So that's something I, I need to play with as well. Um, you know, need, I need to know if I need to tell the rabbits, hey, uh, I've changed the settings, restart your app, or or if it'll actually update everything or not. So the, the phones were definitely going out here and there, uh, and some, you know, some more than others. Um, and then we started out with three rabbits. We had Paul Henry, um, Ed Miller, I believe, and Timothy... Grossman. Uh, Tim's a, a young guy, and man, he was definitely our MVP for um, rabbits. He was just all over the place, just constantly on the action, and the whole like 
it, and his and somehow his camera stayed up the most. I think, uh, thankfully, he had AT and T, so it, it, like we probably could have just left the camera all the his camera on the entire time, and it still would have been a good race, a good show. Um, but the other guys still did. Everybody did great. Worked hard. Got some great shots. And having all those cameras uh, was really helpful because we had the three rabbits that started, and then after qualified around one, we had. Uh, Brant Boggs and Tyler Mosesian come um, grab a gimbal and and turn their phones on and get rolling as well. So they that was awesome. So we had five people out there. Now Brant's camera was just not staying on worth a darn. And then I actually let him switch to my phone, and it's still same thing. It was just not staying connected very well. Uh, he got a few shots because uh, we. While one of my cameras, one of my static cameras that was shutting down was the one at the finish. And so I didn't actually have, I was telling the guys, the, you, know, you don't have to worry about going up the finish because I got a camera down there. But then it was off. And it was just like, ah, right, dang it. So I sent him over there to get the finish line in the turnaround area for, you know, each going through at the end of the lap. And again, it is wasn't staying connected, but he did get some shots at the end. Uh, at that spot for a little bit. Uh, so since he, we couldn't get him to stay connected, I, I told him, Hey, come, come sit down and switch cameras for me. Um, you know, just do these for now. I only had two cameras up. So, uh, do these two cameras, these two buttons is all you got to do. And I'm going to go fix the cameras that are, uh, the static cameras that are messed up. So he was, uh, switching cameras for me and I ran out on the course and real, that's when I realized that the cameras were set to auto shut off. And I turned them back on, turned that off, and then got them, you know, got them reconnected to the show. So then, so we had a camera at the start, camera at the finish, one on monkey bars, and one start finish monkey bars, and the rope climb. I actually had one up, like, at the, towards the top of the rope climb, which is pretty cool. Um, and I had one more, but oddly, even though I could have swore I plugged all these things in, uh, one of them was, one of the camera's batteries was dead. So, uh, I was down to four instead of five, but I did want to put one on the multi-rig, but I didn't get to. Um... Now, I also, and I don't know if anybody catch this from the live stream, noticed that. So, for one, the the, the rabbits, the, the phone cameras, the platform that we're going through, Rivet, um, it does have a setting to uh, sync up the cameras. So, for the most part, if, those, if, if two rabbit cameras are looking at the same thing and I switch between them, it should be, uh, you know, a, a clean switch where, like, action happening on Ward lines up with the action on the other one. But if you notice the static cameras, especially uh, where we had the majority of where we had a rabbit and a static cameras on the monkey bars and on the um, rope climb, there was a delay and I need to double check and, and test this some more, but I one, they were off and I, I don't know so I, I I need to find out. Do I need to change my latency on the rabbit cameras or on the 
static camera. It was like, where do I need to make it take longer to get to the show, to get, you know, to the, to the computer that the, the camera feed's going into. So that way they line up a little better. So I'm going to play with that and uh, hopefully get those going well. Now, the, those cameras themselves, they're, they stay, they're pretty, pretty fairly in sync. So when it comes to like OCRWC and having all five of those cameras on the 100 meter course, it's going to be real nice. Now, they can get out of sync, but I can easily reset those and so it kind of syncs them back up. Um, so that'll, that'll, that'll be pretty awesome. Having five different shots on, on the 100 meter course is going to be really cool. So I don't need rabbits for that, which is really cool because I can just stick those five cameras on the course and you can get everything. I mean, I, I did it last year with uh, only three cameras and that uh, was raining as well. So I, I wasn't able to put them on the course. It was, it was, I, I put them underneath uh, an awning up high so you could see the course, but it's still switching between those uh, went pretty well. You're able to see most everything. But I would love to have some on the course, like where you're really getting some close action shots and being able to see, see everything. So David and Jack did well. And, but then as, uh, David Legita describes it, he has a Wi-Fi extender in his house. So where he's at is not close to his router, I guess. And so he's usually connected to this extender and he said something happened to it and it just wasn't working. So his connection was like it was going in and out here and there. So if you were watching, you probably probably saw him going in and out. And that just kind of happened out of nowhere. And that had nothing to do with the cell signal that we had. Um, so, you know, even even the remote commentators have to deal with um, issues and troubleshoot sometimes. And that's something that, like, there's no way with everything I'm doing I that I could help out with on the fly. Um, so David, you know, was troubleshooting that on his own. Uh, so, you know, there's always, there was, there's always something. I, I have yet go through a race and there not be something that just something wild that happens. Uh, I remember last year going to, I'm going to say Kelowna and they had a, a, a router for us to connect to a Wi-Fi router and we did testing on it, and then the next morning we came in, and it was gone. Like, somebody had taken it. Maybe not, not stolen, probably. Like, somebody within a Spartan, more likely. And it was just was not there to be used. And they never could find it. So I had to shift gears and, you know, do, you know, try other things. So it was, uh, like, that stuff just, just randomly. You just never know, like, as unprepared as I was for this race the most unprepared that I've been for any race yet. Um, you still never know what's going to happen. Like even when, you know, you're the most prepared, there's still something. There's always, always seems to be something. I don't think about a, a, a event just be like a 100% clean and me not make any mistakes. I've had some pretty good ones. Some, some have gone very, very well with very minimal mistakes that hopefully, you know, people don't notice. Uh, that's, that's the whole point is to, to try and make it as seen as clean as possible to the viewer. Um, it's funny uh, being in this now and even like Will Hicks, uh, while he's watching like baseball and stuff, he'll, he'll notice things and send them to me. 
where uh, little mistakes that, that they make in the broadcast. Like he did, uh, he sent me one time, I think it was MLB. They had uh, a picture in picture and the picture in picture ended up being on the wrong thing. And they, you know, took like two, three seconds before they switched to the right thing. But it's like obvious if you know what you're looking for, uh, obviously that somebody hit the wrong button or something like that. So, you know, there, there's, there is some stuff that gets automated with triggers and different things, but it's still, you know, people are still working behind these, even in these big giant productions, like, like a baseball, like a MLB baseball game. So it is, it is just wild. It's a wild thing and it's, it's all live. So things are happening fast and yeah, you, you, you hit up, you hit a button and then something comes up on the screen that you weren't expecting and, and uh, you gotta, gotta adjust and, and think fast and troubleshoot when something goes wrong and it uh it is really wild it's a very high pressure intense um troubleshooting in that environment it's it's tough like like you know when you need to troubleshoot something and you're just kind of like chill it out it's like okay let me figure out what this is doing and you just take your time but when you're under the gun and you, you know that everybody's watching, uh, it's a it's a different game. It, it is crazy. Now we did get to have, I think it was while the men were running, maybe during the finals, and we got to pull um, Lindsay Webster in and let her uh, get interviewed by. The commentators uh so that was cool and then after the uh the whole race was over we pulled in kimson since he won as well and i wanted to pull in atkins ryan atkins because he got second but he had already headed over to to for the award ceremony uh so chris ruboski who got second for the women she was uh still over near us so i grabbed her and she came and interviewed as well so I'll probably release those as an episode by themselves uh, also, like I did uh, before for Savage Race. Uh, so you can look out for that coming also. Um, but it's nice. It's, it's cool having them uh, being in person and being able to pull people in. There's definitely some better setup that I can have to make that process a little smoother. And having an assistant to go grab people and bring them in, it would be helpful as well. But yeah, so it was funny after Chris and Kimson left, I was still sitting there and left up the uh, screen with three people. So it, it, you know, I got on screen a little bit there uh, at the end of the show. And then I pulled up the, the right at the very end, they, they mentioned the, the, the rest of the series, you know, one race left in the series. So I pulled up the, the screen that showed the, uh, the, the schedule for the season and it, it's an overlay. So while it was still up, I tried, I thought my, I thought I had set the hotkey for it. I tried to switch to the end screen and apparently the button that I pushed just put me on the screen. So whenever I pulled off that overlay, uh, it was just me. <laughs> and so I was on screen for a second. I think my audio was already out. I got already turned my audio off. But uh, it was just me for a second there before I got the uh, 
um, you know, the end in show streaming, stream ending, uh, show. Now I did, you know, the opening and, and the closing with those slideshows, just the pictures. Those are all pictures from Jack Gores, which are fantastic. Actually, the, the Savage Race ones do have a few pictures from, uh, oh, I'm blinking on his name. Off the, off the, shoot, oh well. Um, guy rabbited for us at, um, at Savage, Ohio. Did a great, fantastic job. Good photographer to, as well. Uh, apologize, man. Um, but some of his pictures are in there too. But I got that idea from, I want to say, Western States. I think they had, their live stream had something like that at the beginning of theirs where it was just a slideshow. So, you know, kind of the idea is that while people are waiting, you want to give them something to, something to look at, something to do. Uh, rather than just being a, a static screen with some text on it. And what I had previously, you know, music, there's a little bit of music playing, kind of get you, get you into the mood, and like little floaty particles across the screen. And so that is helpful, but definitely not enough. So having something, and honestly, honestly, having a video would be best, but I do like the slideshow, like it's it's nice. Uh, and the great thing about the slideshow is that I don't have to go recreate this thing every time. I'm literally pulling pictures out of the folder. So as the events happen, like this one just happened, I can go grab more pictures that Jack Gorris took and put them in that folder. So this slideshow will continue to evolve and grow and change. So I'll probably, you know, as it gets too big uh i'll take some pictures out and we'll get newer pictures in there from the different events so uh really excited about that so like say next year when the next the series starts first race of the series we'll have pictures from all four races hopefully in the whole series for this year so you kind of get like a recap of the the year before in a way um so you know, how do you, what do you think? Like, I uh, hope, hope you like it. Um, if you got some thoughts on what else we could do. Uh, and like I said, I, that one, wor that works well because it's so easy to change. I don't have to, because in the past I was doing this intro where, uh, it's like a, you know, highlight clips from the live stream, which I loved it, but it, every time I want to change it and add new stuff to it, I got to go do video editing and re-render it. So it is tricky. This is way easier, um, way more time efficient. So I'll, I'll keep doing that for now. But if you do have some other ideas, feel free to let me know. You know, send me an email, jason at theocrreport.com or um, hit me up on Instagram. Uh, jason J Dupree underscore OCR, I believe. Um, or just at the OCR port as well. Uh, hit us up there too. Now, I've also got, let's see, so I got that slideshow. And as you may have seen for Savage and for this race, um, you know, the race brands, they tend to usually make some kind of video or something. And that's great to show at the beginning as a, like a little promo for them or just a good intro for the show. 
And so for Spartan, they haven't been doing much uh, widescreen, wide, yeah, horizontal landscape format videos. It's mostly just been reels. But they have made some reels that are highlights for these races. So uh, in Big Bear, we had one for the highlights for Palm Beach. And then this one was a highlight for both of them. So I did the thing where you got, you know, instead of just black bars on the side, you've got the, like a large, enlarged view of the, the same video, but it's just blurred out kind of thing that you see uh, a, a lot of times um, online and social media. So I think that works well. I like it. I mean, they make a good, a good video. They've got, uh, I think it's Andre maybe that uh, does their video editing. He does an excellent job. And the only thing is that they put music in it. And since they're doing it in a reel, you know, they're probably using some music that is already uh, approved in, in reels. But doing it on YouTube doesn't mean that I have the rights to that. So I do have to um, basically uh, edit. Well, I do edit them just by, by putting the background, you know, making it to where it's blowed up and blurred out. But uh, also adding some different music in there. So there's a, you know, it may, it may not match up quite as well as what they did, but that's unfortunately just what I have to do because, uh, because YouTube and, you know, copyrights and such. So I did that and I like it. I think it works well. It's a good intro for the show. Um, you know, graphic wise, like, like after that plays and then you get this title screen that shows what the, the name of the race is and everything. Uh, and, and in just my graphics in general, they aren't crazy high end like you get with uh, NFL um, show or, in, or, or baseball, MLB. Um, I, I do know of a, a platform that I think is reasonably priced that I'll go to eventually when I've got the time to put it into some uh, really nice graphics, but for the time being, we use the graphics uh, editor and, and uh, animations that come with vMix. So it's a, it's a tool called the GT Title Designer or something like that. So it's kind of their, their built-in graphics tools. And so they're, they're decent. They're definitely good enough to, to be better than just nothing or... Um, just static graphics, you know, static pictures, images, definitely better than that. Uh, but not quite as high end as, as, you know, 3D and, um, all this other fancy stuff that you can get from, uh, some of these big sports, sports events. So we'll get to that eventually. And honestly, you know, it's just like, like a lot of the stuff that is something that could easily be one person's job or could be a team of people that could could have that job just by itself so and, and then even running the graphics during the show not only you know uh one one team of people to create the graphics uh, a whole separate team of people to operate the graphics during the show and i'm doing all of that by myself there's that so technically wise the show was a bit of a mess in just all over and kind of wild but at the same time it was a good show i mean the race was great and that's obviously important the the camera the pictures were good as well so that's always important too like if there's a hierarchy of things that uh 
you need for, I, I think, for the audience to enjoy it. Um, the, the content itself needs to be good. You know, I think of, uh, trail, a lot of these long distance ultra running trail races, uh, the content is a trail race, but for the people that love trail racing, it, they, they're watching it. They're watching these multi-hour, uh, trail races. And a lot of time the content isn't even a lot going on because they're just, you know, trail running. And sometimes it's not even on the trail because they're, um, their, their signal's not good or they don't have uh, a person wherever out in the woods wherever these racers are. So, um, first off, content needs to be good. And then, like I'm saying, for the trail racers, it's like, that's, that's what they watch. They, um, yeah. So, tra- uh, content needs to be good. Picture, I, I'm not sure, honestly, if picture clarity is, I know it's important, but I don't know if it's up there above good commentators or not like let's say (laughs) let's say you add one or the other let's say you don't have commentators or you don't have a clear picture so which one would you rather like you can have a little bit of pixelation and i mean you can't have no picture because then it's just a podcast which is still cool too but which one can you which one's more important? I'm not entirely sure, but uh, so yeah, we had we had pretty good commentating because obviously we still deal with the delay and trying to figure out the best way to handle that kind of stuff. Um, you know, people talking over each other, uh, and then, and then David had his connectivity issues, but other than that, they still did a great job commentating. So it's um. Is that, is that more important or is the picture being clear more important? But we had, so we had the great commentating. We had pretty good picture and we had still some graphics with, you know, like the intro to the show, the outro video, the, the, uh, the shot that shows the commentators and whenever the, um, you know, the interviews, so, you, you know, that's a little bit of graphic there. Uh, the, 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 the results, we had those graphics, so we didn't have all the graphics that we normally have, but we still had some. So, and I, and to me, the, uh, results, I would love, I, I felt bad about not having a timer on the screen, which is always weird with the 3k anyway, because you've got these different heats. So you put it up one timer and then that's up whenever the other heat takes off two minutes later. I don't know. It's, it's kind of odd. I hadn't quite figured out the best solution for that. Um, so I didn't have all the, um, that's, that's one, a timer is usually one that I want to have the most, but obviously results I think are, are the most important out of all the, uh, out of all the graphics too. So when we had those for the most part, so that was good. So it's crazy. It's crazy to think that it was just such a cluster and yet it was still one of the best shows we've had like i've heard i mean there's always some people saying yeah good job great show and so glad you got to watch it and everything but this one i think as far as like youtube comments and and just like online comments i i think i've gotten seen the most great coverage comments 
And that could just be the amount of people that are watching versus not. I don't, I don't know, but I was, uh, that definitely piqued my interest. It's like, huh, even with as much of a mess that show was, it still was a good show. I mean, the content was great. So the, the race was fantastic. Um, so yeah. Anyways, uh, I think that's it for the technicality side of things. Let me think for a second and move on if it's not. I mean, if it is. So I'll say one more thing, uh, techni technical-wise, and then and, and move on and wrap it up. Um, there, we did one race. I think it was Savage, Ohio, where uh, I've tried using a, a cloud computer. So a virtual machine uh, hosted by a company called Paperspace. And when I used it, the vMix instance, the installation on that machine was getting really high, like the computer was getting really high CPU usage. So I was kind of concerned about the production, although it still came through pretty clean. Um, and the whole reason why, I, like I know it was something like an option for us to do previously anyway, um, the main reason why I wanted to go to cloud machine is because currently I'm working off of my computer at home. So if something happens, like let's just say my computer at home shuts down for whatever reason, or the internet goes out, which we've seen happen before, that actually happened at um, Hildervat. We were in the middle of the show and my router at home reset. So we had to um, wait for it to come back up and uh, and then continue. So that can happen. Uh, and so with a cloud machine being hosted by some big company, you're just less likely for, to get that kind of stuff to happen. And it's more more reliable. Um, so I, I you know opted to go with a cloud machine, and then was not sure about the performance of it during that that Savage race, and so I opted to go back to my uh my computer at home um now savage mm, i'm gonna say savage maryland because i think that was the the worst cell signal that we've had so far this year uh when that morning when i got up and this is after this is the day after big bear 3k i got up that morning and went to log into my computer at home and it i couldn't connect so I had to call my wife, I had to wake her up and ask her to go turn that computer on. So I don't know what happened, but thankfully she was there. If she hadn't been there, I would not have been able to put on a show. Just plain and simple. So that's the whole point of going to a cloud machine is that, you know, don't have to worry about that because there's no, like, if she's, if nobody's at my house and something goes wrong, that there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but since I had the issues, the concerns at Savage, Ohio, uh, I have opted to continue to use my home computer, but I've still got the cloud machine as a backup. And and I think that's going to work really well, for one, because for every hour I use the cloud machine, it costs money. Now, it's not a ton of money, but it still costs something. So I think it, that'll, you know, using the machine at home, only using that cloud machine 
when absolutely necessary will be able to, you know, save us a little bit of money as well. And uh, my machine at home and my internet is strong. So I'll continue to use that for the time being less, less than absolutely necessary. Um. So yeah, we'll see. I know OCRWC that weekend, the 15K starts at 8 o'clock Pacific time. And Savage Dallas starts at 9 p 9 a.m. Central Time. It's a two-hour time difference. Savage races, like the whole the whole broadcast usually doesn't take but an hour and a half, maybe two hours, depending on how much interviews and stuff we do. Uh, so we're talking about between when they start, between when both of these races start, is an hour difference. So Saturday starts, and then an hour later, the 15K starts. So I've really got to figure out what are we going to do there. I'm probably going to have to go with vMix on two different machines and have somebody operate the uh, the Savage race, which, we, you know, Will Hicks has done some of the DECA stuff for me whenever I had something going on. So I know he can do it. Um, but somebody's got to be operating that race while I'm operating the, or getting ready. You know, when that race starts, I'll still be getting ready and getting all my rabbits prepped and everything for the 15K at OCRWC. So that's going to be really interesting. Very, very technically challenging uh, setup, I, I believe. So that'll be fun. But anyways, uh, after the race was over today, yeah, I think that's the end of my, my technical spiel. It just was a mess, but, uh, but it's still, still good. Um, so after the race today and after Mike finished, me, him, and Caitlin went up to Scranton and went and saw some of the, the, the office stuff. So we went to, uh, you know, you, you're driving into Scranton and if you're, not a, a office fan or haven't watched a ton of it. You may not uh, uh, recognize some of this stuff, but uh, you, you drive in and you see the sign for Carbondale. You know, it's a place that uh, they talk, they mentioned a couple of times, like a nearby city. And we went to Paul Richards. So there's a pub that they uh, go to in the show. And uh, it's inside of Bowling Alley, which is pretty wild. Uh, there's no sign outside that says like out on the building that says poor Richards. Like we looked it up on Google and went and, and you were like, are we in the right place? Is this the right address? And you walk in and there's a sign in there that says poor Richards. It's pretty crazy. So in there, we went in there, uh, had, had, uh, dinner and, and then from there we went to Cooper's, which is another a seafood restaurant that they talk about. Um, I think Kevin says he is tired of going to Cooper. Like, like Phyllis mentions, they want to go to Cooper's, and he's like, oh, "I'm tired of Cooper's." I forget exactly what it was, but they mentioned Cooper's. Cooper's is a pretty cool uh, seafood restaurant. Like, so at the outside is a is a lighthouse, and there's a big octopus on top of it, and there's pirates all over the place, and uh, it's just a pretty neat place. Now on the inside, they actually had a office gift shop the office gift shop 
lots of neat stuff in there that we went and looked at. And just their restaurant is, is themed pretty cool too. Like the bathrooms, the, the men's bathroom is themed in the Beatles. And so they're playing Beatles music just in the bathroom. And the women's bathroom, Caitlin said, not that I saw it, Caitlin said it was themed in Elvis. Um, and then there was like a whole display of Transformers and just all kinds of random stuff. Um, pretty neat. So we went there and then we went by Alfredo's Pizza. You know, the, the episode where they say, uh, Michael orders some pizza by Alfredo and they're like, wait, did you get Alfredo pizza or pizza by Alfredo? Because there is a big difference between these two places. <laughs> and uh, so we went by Alfredo, the, the good one, Alfredo's pizza. Um, we just took a picture of the sign out there. And and then we went by, I think we saw the Lackawanna County uh, Sheriff's Office where, you know, the, the white uh, volunteers and and then we went to in the, in the opening for the show. There's a tower, not a tower, a, a corner of a building that's a little bit of a tower um, for Pin Paper Company. And so we we went there and saw that as well. And that was it. So we took some pictures, made some some fun reels, and uh, posted stuff on social about it, and, uh, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool getting to see Scranton, PA in real life, and talking about the office with Mike and Kaylin and all, all that fun stuff. So, uh, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, hour 36 in at this point, um, if you didn't check out the live stream, go back to YouTube. It's, it, it'll be up there, and, uh, you can rewatch it. Um, OCR Talk, uh, I'll put out an episode for the interviews, the live interviews that happened. You know, Obstacle Running Adventures, they'll have, uh, they were on site as well, so they'll have a bunch of interviews from during the race. So that should be exciting to listen to as well. And I'll, I've got, we've got a few reels since we were you know, on the course today, a few reels of different things on the course. I'm actually going to put out one that is a, uh, tips on spear throw. So look out for that one. And, and all obstacle video, all obstacles video too. That'll come out later this, you know, hopefully this week or sometime. Uh, I've got lots to do. I've got lots of, uh, thank you posts that I need to, you know, still need to put up thank you posts for Savage Race last weekend and get everybody their race codes and, and t-shirts and all that good stuff. So lots to do. But I've got, I think, three weeks before Rick Games, which I need, you know, this is not a repeating uh, show that we've done already this year. So I've got to basically not start from scratch, but a lot of prep that's got to go into that show. Plus, it's a very long event, you know, all-day event. So that's going to be uh, tough. But I do have a good bit of chunk of time with no other races in between. So that, that'll be helpful. So looking forward to that. Uh, look out for it. That'll be the next race we do. And, um, thank, again, thanks for listening so much, but check us out on Patreon, not OCR talk, but the OCR report and, uh, catch you next time.